So much of life is about where things intersect. Real estate agents talk about a main and main where two major roads intersect one another. Over the past few years, I've glanced at my children's homework and I remember them plotting points on a graph, having to determine where lines and slopes intersect. And I know that's probably really important. As you might imagine, all I could offer was moral support uh, for those homework assignments. I was an economics major in college, and we would analyze graphs and charts, and the intersection of those trends often showed the break-even point, or the optimum price point, or when you should buy or sell widgets. Exodus chapter 6, verses 14 through 7, 13 may seem like a random passage. You may have questions about how these two passages seem to fit together. But in this passage, in this portion of Scripture, we have the intersection of two things. Humanity and divinity. The intersection of God and man. We've got two pretty normal, actually very broken individuals without any special pedigree or patronage who end up being used by God to do something that's absolutely impossible and incredible. We have God's everlasting and unstoppable, glorious plan to keep His covenant, to redeem His people, to care for them, to love them, to lead them, being rolled out and implemented by a couple of regular people. That principle, that pattern of God using normal people to accomplish extraordinary things is still true today. It's still at work. We may not see it in God delivering on the same scale as delivering His people like through Moses and Aaron out out of slavery, but it's still played out. It still happens today. We have the intersection of the human and the divine in our lives as God works in us and through us. As He works through people, folks just like us. As He works through our work, through our families, through our friendships, through our church. As we serve, as we pray, as we share, as we confess, as we repent as we worship and do every part of our lives dependent on God. So, if you're here this morning and you wonder where you fit, or if you don't feel adequate to accomplish the tasks that are ahead of you, if you're not sure what to do or how to move forward in life, that may be the perfect place, the best place to be, where we can lean into God, where we can trust in God, with simple, childlike faith. The first thing I want us to see this morning is God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. The first axis that we're going to think about, the first uh, points that we're going to begin to plot, have to do with the line that will become this reality. Moses and Aaron were regular guys. They were normal human beings with the same joys and sorrows, the same victories and defeats that we face every day. And part of that reality is demonstrated through this genealogy. In chapter 6, verses 14 
through 25. If you've read the Bible much before, you've come across passages like this that highlight the lineage of people. And there are places in the Bible that we tend to uh, gloss over. There are places that we automatically skip. Sometimes the preacher even skips reading it. And uh, this is one of those times. But genealogies help serve an important place and role in God's Word and in God's plan. One of the most important things here is that it helps anchor and tie and connect readers to the reality that the people here were people just like us. Everyone's got a mom and a daddy. Everyone's got a family tree. Genealogies help remind us that these are ordinary people like us. And there are a few things in particular that this genealogy helps us to understand and explain. First of all, it serves as an intermission. For us, a passage like this, right in the middle of Exodus, doesn't really seem to fit. We're used to the tension of a story growing until there's a turning point, until there's a pinnacle. We're used to the biographical information coming early on in the story when the people are introduced and everything is laid out before us. But have you ever read a book or seen a movie when the tension grows so much, it's so intense that you can hardly stand what's happening? The tension is growing in Exodus. The tension is growing between God and his enemies, between what's going to happen with the people of Israel, whether they'll be delivered as God has promised. And this genealogy in chapter 6 serves as an intermission. It's an opportunity for us to take a break. You ever been to a play or a concert when there really is an intermission where you can go and uh, get some water, you can go to the restroom, and you can be prepared for the second half of the play? And that's what this does here. It serves as a break. It allows us to stretch our legs and to take a break from the tension and the drama that's that's brewing and growing. And it reminds us that Moses and Aaron were two ordinary guys. We also have in this passage, in this genealogy, an introduction. People are introduced in this passage. Several people are introduced that we'll see later on who are part of God's story and plan of redemption and rescue. Yes, Aaron and Moses are mentioned here, but there are other people that are mentioned in this passage that, that are part of God's plan. And some of them play a courageous and beautiful part in the story. Others are remembered for their rebellion and their mistakes. Just to name a few, Korah, Eleazar, Nadab, Abihu, uh, Phineas, Elkanah, they enter the narrative, they're introduced for us here in this part of Exodus. And then also, this this, uh, genealogy helps to introduce and identify people in this story. It serves to identify specifically this Moses and this Aaron. That's repeated a couple times in the passage. And for us, we don't understand why that's there. Because when we think of Moses and Aaron and we think of the Bible, there are only two guys that we would identify with. I mean, yeah, it's Moses and Aaron. The same guys that play this huge role in God's plan. But this, this helps to identify them for people that wouldn't be of Jewish descent. 
who wouldn't know the story of the Bible. And this genealogy would help remind them that Moses and Aaron weren't just people that were made up. They weren't just guys that were literary heroes brought in to promote the Hebrew religion. They were real people, flesh and blood, rooted and connected in time and space with life and history. This helps to establish and reinforce the message of the Exodus. And so in chapter 6, verse 26, These are the Aaron and the Moses to whom the Lord said, Bring out the people of Israel from the land of Egypt by their hosts. Oh, that Aaron, that Moses, it's those guys. While I was in college, I heard from my friends that there was, a, there was a guy at another college across town whose name was Josh Martin. That's my name. Um, and I, I fantasized about finding out where this guy lived and going to his dorm room and knocking on his door and just having him open it and me say, I'm Josh Martin. You know, and, and so it's this Aaron and this Moses. It's these guys. It helps us to identify them, but also this passage helps us to identify with them. It helps us to identify with Moses and Aaron and the parts of their life, and it reminds us of the deep humanity of God's word and God's way and how he enters in to our lives. Think about some of the things that we see from a genealogy. It tells us about our families. A lot of us uh, are going to be traveling to visit family this week and, or over the next months, and what a wonderful uh, privilege that is. Uh, but if we're honest with ourselves, some of us might have a little tension about that, a little anxiety, maybe your neck uh, getting a little tight. And uh, this passage reminds us that God uses ordinary people, ordinary people like Moses. And Aaron, they did not come from perfect families. A family tree is just that. It talks about the family, and it brings out the good, the bad, and the ugly. And so there are parts in, in, in this, uh, this lineage that are wonderful and beautiful, and there are parts that are weird, and we don't understand uh, why that happened. Amram is Moses' father. He married his own aunt. That's weird. Uh, Reuben... And Simeon sold their little brother into slavery. Korah would lead a rebellion against his own cousin Moses. And that's just the beginning. And then in the editorial comments in verses 26 through 30, when it talks about all the amazing things that God will do through Moses and Aaron, it also reminds us in verse 30, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? It reminds us that Moses doubted what God was doing and how he would accomplish his plan. Moses and Aaron were very ordinary people, broken, sinful people. They came from dysfunctional families and they added to the dysfunction. Yet we'll see in a few minutes that God used them powerfully and mightily. What do you think about the story of your life? Do we all have parts that we wish we could rewrite? Absolutely. 
Are there things we wish we could go back and change? Sure. But they are part of your story. I believe a huge part of us growing in the gospel and being more comfortable in our skin as the children of God is in us saying and knowing that our stories, even our mistakes, are an opportunity for God's grace to shine in this world and to shine through our lives. So that we can move as ordinary people toward healing and brokenness, healing and wholeness through our brokenness. Are there parts of your family history that you wish weren't there? Sure. You've got a family. Maybe being honest about that hurt or that dysfunction or that shame could help you heal and possibly break the cycles of sin and destruction. When we read about Moses and Aaron's family, we're reminded that God uses ordinary people. People with baggage and scars and unhealed wounds, people that don't have it all together, people who have all sorts of problems. Let me think. Do we know any people like that? Hmm. Oh, wait. It's us. The point is, God uses ordinary people. Like you and me and Moses and Aaron to accomplish his extraordinary purposes. We have ordinary folks, but we have an extraordinary God. That's the second thing I want us to see. As we move into chapter 7, we see this intersection of humanity and divinity of some ordinary guys being used by an extraordinary God. And what, what, how the, this thing unfolds is it says, Moses, you'll be like God to Pharaoh. God says in chapter 7, verse 1, Look, see, take note of this, listen up. I've made you like God to Pharaoh. And in the original, it's not just like God. It actually says, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Well, that makes us feel a little uncomfortable. We don't know what to do with that. It's literally, I've made you God to Pharaoh. And it doesn't mean that he's perfect or all-knowing, but as far as Pharaoh was concerned, Moses represented God. He was God to Pharaoh, and Aaron was his prophet or his mouthpiece. That's a pretty big jump from the end of chapter 6, right? Where uh, Moses was like, yeah, I'm not the right guy for this. I don't know what to say. Nobody will listen to me. Why did God use Moses and Aaron? Was it because they were perfect? Was it because they were the best suited for the job? Was it because Moses and Aaron were up-and-coming rising stars in Israel? I mean, they were 80 and 83. They were not first-round draft picks. Um, did God use Moses because he was sinless, faultless, perfect? The answer is no. God used Moses. God uses folks like us for his glory to shine through. So that we can remember that it's not about the ones who are doing the work. It's about him. He gets the glory. Remember this passage from 
2 Corinthians chapter 4. We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. We're the jars of clay. To show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God used Moses and Aaron so that God would get the glory. God uses people like us so that he receives the fame and the honor and the glory. God is extraordinary. He uses ordinary people in his extraordinary plan. And think about the examples and the pictures that the Bible uses to describe Christians. These are a few. We are ambassadors of Christ. We're the bride of Christ, the body of Christ. We're soldiers and servants and children. And all of those things imply representing or presenting or showing or living for our master, our commander, our head, our king. It's like John the Baptist. His whole ministry could be summed up with a statement, something like this. It's not about me, it's about him. You remember when he saw Jesus coming, he said, Behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What a great privilege we have to live for and serve and point others to our extraordinary God. Another thing that we see in this passage, as we see God's power, we see mercy and judgment. As Moses and Aaron, uh, as God reminds us what he'll do and how he'll do it, we see another intersection. We see an intersection between God's mercy and God's judgment. Of him showing indescribable grace to his people and delivering them. And him showing justice and judgment to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. God reminds us that he'll deliver his people, his children, out of Egypt. Something that is incredible and impossible. And in the process, God hardened Pharaoh's heart in judgment. And this is a theme that we'll see over and over throughout the book of Exodus. It's important for us to remember that Pharaoh's heart was already hard. It was already set against God's way and God's plan. And these these themes are used interchangeably. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Or Pharaoh's heart was hardened. So the idea is not that against his will, him kicking and screaming, his heart was hardened against God. He was actually just being uh, confirmed and established in the path that he was already on. And not just Pharaoh. The idea of judgment goes also to the people of of, of Egypt. And it says that they will know that I am the Lord, verse 5, when I stretch out my hand against them and bring out the people of Israel. Mercy and judgment go together. And as Christians or people that are interested in the Christian faith, we know about mercy. We get mercy. That's something that's precious to us. We celebrate it. And and we should. But we can't forget the reality of judgment. To forget the reality of judgment, we forget the holiness of God, that He's a consuming fire. That no one or no thing can stand in the way of his perfect plan. Not Pharaoh, not the Egyptians, not any other individual or institution in the history of the world. Mercy and judgment meet. God not only uses extraordinary, he uses 
He's an extraordinary God. He uses ordinary people in ordinary ways. This is hyper-intuitive to us. It's one of the things we see in chapter 7. It's hyper-intuitive to us, especially in our culture, in a time where we have this pressure for everything to be awesome. You ever feel that pressure? We're tempted to believe that our lives need to be epic and awesome and incredible for them to have meaning and value and worth. This passage reminds us that part of the the way, the extraordinary way that God worked through Moses and Aaron, part of the glory is found in chapter 7, verse 6. Look at what it says. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses and Aaron already learned that almost following God's plan and basically getting the message isn't the way to go. And here it seems that they get it. They they don't have to add to God's plan. They don't need to alter it. They simply needed to do what God told them to do. So they spoke what God told them to speak. They did what God told them to do. They did just as the Lord commanded them. And in our lives, in our worlds, this is part of the way of change, the way of life, the way of blessing. Doing what God says just the way he says it. Resting in and trusting the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, frees us to follow God in the details of our lives and in the particulars. Now, life is complicated. We need help. We need wisdom. One of the most profound ways that our extraordinary God works in us, in ordinary people, in ordinary ways, is through us walking in His commandments. Spiritual disciplines, reading God's Word, prayer, service, evangelism, taking care of your family, looking out for the needs of others, giving, fighting temptation, asking other people for help, speaking the truth in love, being filled with compassion and kindness. Moses and Aaron, they did exactly what God told them. God works in ordinary people often in ordinary ways. We need to be constantly reminded of this because we forget the foundations. We neglect the basics of the gospel and God's plan. And it's so easy for us to compromise. Here are some examples. Well, I mean, Uncle Sam won't really know. I didn't get a 1099, so it's not really, it's not really income, I guess. Or it's close enough, right? I mean, yeah, it, it, that's fine. Or, or in relationships, you know, if, if you're dating someone or pursuing someone and you're a committed Christian and then you find out that that person isn't, well... We love each other. That stuff will work itself out later. You see the the deception there? The trick? You know what? My life is so stressful. I just need to have a drink every night in order to relax. Or I just look at that stuff on my phone every now and then. It's not really that big of a deal. 
I'm not sure where I heard this illustration, maybe a friend, maybe a preacher, it was a preacher, whoever gave it, maybe it was in a sermon, but uh, this guy had a friend who was a pilot, this preacher, and he would take him flying with him every now and then, and he would, he would let the preacher uh, fly the plane, you know, so they're flying around, and the pilot would say, what's your heading? And he'd say, uh, 268, 269. And he said, keep the plane at 270. He said, what's the big deal? You know, 268, 269. And he said, if we're not on this, this path, we're going to end up in another state. And so what we see here is the fact that God uses ordinary people in ordinary ways. It's a wonderful reminder for us Line upon line, precept upon precept, as Eugene Peterson puts it, Christian growth is measured as a long obedience in the same direction. The extraordinary God also works in extraordinary ways. He does work through the ordinary things in our lives extraordinarily, but he also works in extraordinary ways. And that's what we see at the last part of Exodus chapter 7 or the verses uh, 8 through 13. Um, And this is just the beginning. We see God's sovereignty. Look at what it says in verse 9. When Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle. We pass over that, we, we, we tend to skip it. But God knew exactly what Pharaoh would say. And he prepared Moses and Aaron for that. God is sovereign. He's in control. God is also powerful. You know how the story unfolds. Moses, Aaron casts the staff down and becomes a snake. Then then Pharaoh and his magicians come and pull off the same stunt. The same thing happens. But what happens next describes the power of God. That Aaron's staff ate up the others. The standoff is beginning. The image is clear. Yes, Pharaoh, you may have power. But I have all the power. I am the Lord and I'm in control. Sometimes we forget that God works in extraordinary ways now. We don't see Him turning rivers into blood or walking sticks into snakes. God is still working in extraordinary ways. He's still working incredibly and supernaturally in this world. Think about some of the examples. Folks who hated him, who wanted nothing to do with him, maybe you're sitting in this room this morning because they love Jesus Christ. That's a miracle. That's incredible. That's extraordinary. People that thought that their lives would be defined by a certain sin or struggle have had the courage to come out of the darkness to humble themselves, to get help, to find hope and freedom, and they've begun to change. That is extraordinary. That's the work of God. God helps people blossom and grow, even through some of the most challenging situations in life. He heals. He binds up wounds. He helps people to forgive in the most difficult circumstances. Our extraordinary God does extraordinary things 
in ordinary people just like us. How is this all possible? Like, why are we here? 3,500 years or so after what happened with Moses and Aaron, why are we sitting here worshiping God? What's the key? Well, there was another time when humanity and divinity intersected. Where a man was not just like God, he was God. There was a time when mercy and justice met in one place, in one person, in time and space and history. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? I'm talking about King Jesus. I'm talking about our Lord and our Savior He identified with us. He became one of us. He was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. He has messy people in his family tree, past and present, current company included. He willingly went to the cross, laying down his life for us, even though he never did anything wrong. He did just as the Father said. Remember when he said, my meat and my drink is to do the will of my Heavenly Father. He executed the plan perfectly. He did what he came to do. And the entire Exodus event from the Old Testament is a picture and it's a shadow. And it's a glimpse of the great salvation and redemption that Jesus Christ, the God-man, would accomplish, would gain for ordinary people just like us. So we know about the perfect intersection of God and man in time and space, in history, in Jesus Christ. The perfection and power of that intersection is seen at the cross. The empty tomb where Jesus triumphed over sin and death and the grave and gave us eternal life. So the last question is simply this. How... Does your life intersect with God? How has your life intersected with heaven and God himself? Yes, he made us and he sustains us and his power is declared all around us. But is the turning point, the crossroads of your life, is your hope and foundation in the work and the person of Jesus Christ? That's what this is all about. That's why we're here. That's why we gather together week in and week out. Because Jesus crossed paths with us to give us forgiveness and hope and joy and everlasting life. Heaven and earth met. God became man so that women and men, girls and boys, could be with God forever. Let's pray.